You are listening to a conservative review production. Trust, but verify. You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience, this is your host, Daniel Horowitz. This is Tuesday, June 21st. We got a special edition earlier in the week than usual of this, of conservative conscience. Let me tell you something. We have, we have major problems going on in our government. Imagine if you had the fire department setting fires across the landscape. There's an there's a epidemic of arson and you see it's coming from the fire department itself, and there's people cheering them on. And you know what else you see? You see those people that are cheering it on tell the American people, you know what, we need to ban fire in people's kitchens. Fire is too dangerous. Should we ban fire for the, those that have mental illnesses? What about banning fire for those on a certain list? And you're sitting and screaming out, why don't we have a national debate over the firefighters, the people... Not the object of fire, the people setting the fire. That is what I wanted to talk about today with our special guest. We have a special guest coming up. Um, His name is Phil Haney. Now, I just want to, before we bring him in, just introduce to our audience, um, WorldNet Daily, which is publishing my book, Stolen Sovereignty on the Judiciary on Immigration and Sovereignty, they have also just published a book that you must order on Amazon now. And I, I will I'll say this straight. You should order it even before my book. I am plugging it right here, right now. See something, say nothing. A Homeland Security officer exposes the government's submission to jihad. Phil Haney worked for many years in the Department of Homeland Security, counterterrorism, one of the foremost counterterrorist experts in this country, a guy we want to be talking to at a time like this when we're talking about connecting the dots between foreign terrorists, homeland, uh, um, homegrown terrorists, what is going on here, and the fifth column in our own government that is not only being politically correct, but downright erasing any connection to Islamic terror. There is no better person to talk about this issue with than Phil Haney. There is no better book to buy now than See Something, Say Nothing, we're going to put it up in our show notes. And with no further ado, it's an honor to bring in Phil Haney. How you doing? Very well. Thank you so much. So you're traveling you? actually on the highway now with your book tour. Yeah. We're on the Garden State Parkway right now going toward the New Jersey Turnpike. Yep. You know, Phil, I don't know how we pack this into one 25-minute segment here. Um, if, if anything, you'll be an inspiration for me. I'm, I'm struggling with uh, my, my book's coming out in three weeks. Had to give over a whole book you know, with a couple of, of sound bites. But let me, let me just start with this. I'm struggling with the following problem. Um, so, something that's unique about Obama more than any other Democratic president in the past is that he has done things that are so scandalous – that in some ways it actually helps him. Because they're so scandalous, people can't believe them to be true, and they tune it out. In this case, 
try telling people that you actually, not only do you have the government ignoring Islamic terror and creating this CVE, countering violent extremism agenda, to focus on, quote-unquote, right-wing extremism instead of you know, where the problem is, but you have Muslim Brotherhood figures at the highest levels of our homeland security and counterterrorism apparatus inspiring, drafting, influencing these policies at its highest level. Maybe if you could start from there, am I missing something? Do we have foxes guarding the hen house? Well, the big transition in terms of what you're describing, the foxes in the hen house, came in November of 2008. That is what I call the key in the door, and it was turned, and that is the Holy Land Foundation trial, where the federal government, meaning the Department of Justice, proved in federal court in Dallas that there was a network of organizations and individuals well-established within the United States that were providing direct financial support to Hamas. In particular, it was funneling through this organization called the Holy Land Foundation, which was centered in Richardson, Texas. And they shut it down, and they sent the five principals of that organization to jail for providing somewhere between 12 and $60 million of financial support to Hamas. But in the course of the trial, they discovered that other organizations, such as the Council on American-Islamic Relations, called CARE, Islamic Society of North America, called ISNA, and the North American Islamic Trust, NAIT, were also involved in this network. So... The plan was is to go to phase two of the trial and take the same process that phase one and essentially shut those organizations down because of their support for a globally designated terrorist organization, meaning Hamas. But that never happened. In fact, the opposite happened. Instead of shutting the organizations down, they brought the leaders of those organizations into positions of influence and authority within the U.S. government. And that's how I came to be a whistleblower. Because so, amazingly enough, I had been targeting those very same groups in my work. You know, I wanted I wanted to continue with that. So, I mean, that that's a perfect launching point. Um, and, and I must confess, I have not had time to read the whole book yet, um, but I have committed to doing so by the end of the week. But I have skimmed the end. And, and towards the end, you write, you know, uh, uh, towards pretty much the twilight of your career, as I sat at my computer reading the DIA report, it hit me harder than ever before as a CPB officer, you know, working for Border Patrol. I targeted the Muslim Brotherhood for nearly 10 years, trying to warn DHS management and members of Congress that it was a dangerous movement while the administration was supporting the Brotherhood at home and arming them in the Middle East. Um, You know, if you could talk to us a little bit about... I like to tell people, and, and you know, our audience is familiar with the Muslim Brotherhood. We, we've talked about this before, that they are a more foundational threat to our homeland than ISIS. ISIS was created in 2013. It's new. It's, relative, it's the latest popular flavor on the block to be inspired by, maybe even to join it. But the grassroots network that radicalizes these people 
is the Muslim Brotherhood. So you're telling me now we have not only do we tolerate their presence in the country, not only do we tolerate them as the leaders of the Muslim community, but don't we have them in DHS, like HSAC and the you know Civil Rights, Civil Liberties Department of, of DHS, FBI training programs. Um, just, just one thing that comes to mind, Phil, is a guy named Mustafa, who was a fundraiser for the Holy Land Foundation, was given a security clearance to join the FBI's Citizens Training Academy on counterterrorism. What, how did, how did this... How does this happen for even one day? Well, that's part of the question that I hope will be answered in the days and months ahead, is that this incredible abrogation of constitutional responsibility, which after all is to protect the citizens of the United States from threat, both foreign and domestic, was was completely um, erased and that these individuals whose stated purpose is to implement Sharia law everywhere in the world and to sabotage our own miserable house with their own hand and with our help would be brought into the administration to do it. And so what we saw in real life is like a subtle transformation from a law enforcement-based counterterrorism policy as per when we first started the agency Department of Homeland Security, March of 2003, to where it is today. And the perfect allegory was what Loretta Lynch, Attorney General, tried to do with the redacted transcript from the Orlando shooting. She tried to actually present to the American public a redacted document in real time. And it was a perfect illustration of exactly what's been going on in the administration behind the scenes in a much deeper way, again, as described in the book. I was a harbinger, meaning I was one of the very first individuals within the federal government because of by accident of history, my background, I was a subject matter expert. And uh, I saw what Loretta Lynch tried to do in front of the entire American public much deeper, broader, and wider behind the scenes within the federal government. So for me, you couldn't have a better illustration of the whole problem than what Loretta Lynch tried to present to us as a redacted document because those words like Allah or Allahu Akbar and the other things that uh, Mateen said were deemed too sensitive for the American public to even hear. And with that kind of approach to law enforcement and counterterrorism, we're going to see the same kind of thing happen over and over in the future. You know, I was just going to say, because again, you know, I'm put, putting out a book in July very much on the judiciary sovereignty immigration. It does tie into this a little bit. And I was thinking you always want news hooks um, for when your book comes out. Um, sadly, you never want a tragedy to occur. But oh my gosh, I mean, everything. I, I you know, I because I'm, I'm affiliated with WND now with my own book, I got an advanced copy of your your book. I was lucky enough to get one. And I was reading it, and this was in between San Bernardino and Orlando. And then this happens, and it's literally, I'm thinking, Haney, Haney, this is what he just said. Um, it was playing out in real time, like you said. And just this month, DHS put out a CVE memo 
um, you know, expunging any reference to Islam and, and Allah and terrorism and jihad. And, you know, this is being pushed by the foxes guarding the henhouse. As we're talking, I'm seeing my buddy Patrick Poole put out an article on PJ Media about a former FBI agent, Abdel Hafiz, um, who was, was came from the agency. He didn't want to um, follow up on leads that dealt with Islamic terror. He's now being used as a spokesperson to focus on guns. So part of the CVE agenda is to focus on inanimate objects. So now we're, we have a national dialogue about guns, but not about what, what you have alluded to in this book and we've, what you've warned about, which are the assault people that we've brought into our country, that we've allowed to be placed in the leadership position, positions to uh, uh, radicalize these communities. And then these people are placed in the highest levels of our, you know, DHS, FBI counterterrorism apparatus. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to get uh, talk about specifically is, you note in your book, um, you, you talk, you, you spend a lot of time, and really one of the main themes is this Tablighi Jamaat initiative that you help create, um, painstaking research connecting the dots between uh, foreign terror networks and domestic homegrown terrorists. And you say that you possibly could have prevented San Bernardino and maybe Orlando had your research been allowed to um, go through. Could you explain how the dots that you connected could have um, helped prevent these attacks and what was done as a concerted effort to block your research? Sure. I'd be glad to. One thing I'd like to do, though, first, just for a minute, is go back and address these actions or events that were taking place that we're talking about now and make the distinction between tactics and strategy. Everything that we see, the attacks in San Bernardino, Orlando, Fort Hood, Chattanooga, Boston, and so on, are tactics. But that's different than strategy. And what we need to understand to see this more clearly is that there is an over- arching strategy. I call it the gravitational force of the global Islamic movement, and that is the implementation of Sharia law. That's the actual goal. Everything that we see happen around us, everywhere, all 28,000 jihad attacks since 9-11, they're, they're all tactical events for one strategic goal, which is implementation of Sharia law. And as long as we fight tactics, we will never win because tactics change constantly. You know, Phil, I, I hate to interrupt you, but you just thought of a, a great point. Isn't it in fact that ISIS in a vacuum, the focus on ISIS in a vacuum is an example of what you're talking about. It's a very dangerous tactic, but isn't that merely just the latest tactic facet of this broader idea you're talking about? Well, that's the whole point, friend is that as long as we keep talking about tactical operations of ISIS, yes. Are they gruesome, horrible, and ugly? Yes. But as long as we refuse to acknowledge that they actually have a strategic goal, which is in common with every other Islamic organization on the face of the planet, whether, they're, whether they are peaceful or violent or somewhere in between, then you begin to realize that these guys are actually all off working on the same team. It's the solar system. There's Jupiter and Mars and Venus and Pluto, and they're all 
different planets, and some of them have moons rotating around them, but there's one thing that they all have in common. They are controlled by the gravitational force of the sun. They don't don't roam around in the solar system randomly. They have very precise orbits and places in the hierarchy of the structure of the solar system. It's the same way with the Islamic world. And the solar gravity is Sharia law. Now we'll go to your question about Tablighi, meaning the Tablighi-Jamat case. The Orlando Network, and I say Orlando Network, it's actually based out of Fort Pierce, and the San Bernardino Network were part of the same case that I've referred to quite often in public. It had to do with the deletion of the 67 records from that the DHS literally removed right out of the system. Both of those networks, San Bernardino and Orlando, I keep saying Orlando, Fort Pierce, are part of the same case that I worked on when I was a subject matter expert in counterterrorism. It's the same case that the government literally eradicated from the system, the 67 records, but that in itself is a part of a much bigger case called the Tablighi Jamaat Initiative. And Tablighi Jamaat is the sub Asian subcontinent branch, if you will, of Salafi Sunni Islam. The Muslim Brotherhood is the Arabic-speaking Middle East branch of Salafi Sunni Islam, whereas the Tablighi Jamaat dash Deobande movement comes out of the Asian subcontinent. So what we're actually talking about so more here Pakistan. Is, a, is a network that's established in the United States that's actually part of a global network. It actually doesn't have much to do with ISIS, the Tablighi Jamaat group. They're not, they, are, they overlap with each other in terms of strategy and even in terms of tactics but they are different culturally in the sense that the people from the Asian subcontinent speak Urdu and Pashtun, whereas the people from the Muslim Brotherhood orbit are speaking Arabic. But other than that, and those those, uh, cultural differences that go with language, they're ideologically, tactically, and strategically the same. And it keeps insisting to re- refusing, I should say, to acknowledge is the existence of these networks right here in the United States. Wow. I mean, you know what I find interesting as I'm hearing you talk? You see even the FBI director and certainly the media, they act all perplexed. Man, Omar Martin, the Orlando terrorist, uh, you know, he expressed affinity for ISIS, for Nusra, for Hezbollah. He was just mi- all mixed up. But isn't, in fact, what you're trying to tell us is that you know, again, those are tactics. They're different cultural things, but for especially an American Muslim that is not involved in so many of the cultural differences between you know the Pakistani version or the more Arabic version, um, they they support their Islamic supremacists that that support Sharia. They support jihad in pursuit of that, and you know they'll support all of the above. <laughs> Um, they'll express affinity for it, but in fact, it's the foundation, the network that was in this country. Um, terrorism didn't start in 2013 <laughs> with, with the creation of ISIS. How 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 deeply rooted is the Muslim Brotherhood? How long have they been around? Um, obviously, you spoke about the Holy Land Foundation trial, which exposed their network in 2008. Um, a lot of people know about CARE. You have ICNA, ISNA, NAIT, some of these others. You have MPAC. Um, 
you know, how long have they been around, uh, and, and, and when did this kind of start? Well, they've been around technically since 1928, when they were founded by a man named Hassan Albana. And they had a Thomas Jefferson-type personality who was named Syed Qutb. Those are the two founding, you know, fathers, if you will, of the modern Muslim Brotherhood movement. But the Muslim Brotherhood movement is just another iteration of earlier revivalist movements that have sprung up all through the history of Islam. It's just that we're alive during this era. This is the version of the movie that we see during this particular time in the 1900s and 2000s that we're living in right now. But this thing has been played out over and over again through the years because the goal is always the same. We're again, we're going right back to Sharia law. It always goes back to Sharia law. The rest of it is tactics. And that's one of the greatest disservices that this administration is doing. Whenever they keep pointing to ISIS, like Oh, we don't, they, they don't want to admit, for example, that Omar Mateen might have been pledging allegiance to ISIS. But what they don't realize is that he's not mixed up at all, at least in that respect. It's actually the fact that they're mixed up. They don't realize that all these groups are overlapping and that they work together, and they have much more in common. Hezbollah has much more in common with Hamas than not. And they have the same strategic goal, implementation of Sharia. That's why they want to push Israel into the sea. It wouldn't matter if the Israelis were Martians. They'd still want to push them into the sea because they're occupying land that is considered part of the global Islamic walk, which is the same as a community or a trust. They are obligated by the force of Sharia to do that everywhere on the face of the earth, and now they're starting to do it more overtly right here in the United States. So when you talk about you know, some of your interactions with the higher-ups at DHS, where are the culprits? Where are the problems, these people that are erasing the, the research? Um, did you come face-to-face -to -face with some of these Muslim Brotherhood representatives on HSAC? Um, or, you know, at, at, at the division of uh, the Office of Civil Rights and Civil Liberties, or is it more through, you know, other inter intermediaries that you knew were promoting that agenda? No, I came face-to-face -face with them. These were my own colleagues, meaning my colleagues within the agency I came face-to-face -face with, and I knew of them, and they knew of me. Now, we weren't cordial. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, I was in an adversarial relationship with my own agency for more than 10 years. I was investigated nine times. They did everything that they could within their power Wait, to divert. So you, so you were investigated, but not those affiliated with the organizations that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals found to be ostensibly fundraising arms for Hamas. Well, they were put in prison, so that, that part of the network was shut down, but that was only one of about 15 or 20 major organizations that were shut down. The rest of them are still functioning. Not only are they still functioning, but their leaders are in the administration and have been in one way or another, either overtly or covertly, for the last 10 or 15 years.
Let me ask you this. This is the obvious question that I'm sure is on everyone's mind. Where is the other branch of government? In your experience, um, have, have you, first of all, before retiring, before becoming a whistleblower, while you're still at, you know, CPB officer, did you try to contact members of Congress and warn them about this fifth column? Yes, I went to Congress 45 times in four years before, between 19, sorry, four years between 2012 and when I retired. I made a mistake, 2011 and when I retired. Anyway, four years, about 45 times, that's basically once a month, every month, I went up to D.C. and I would give briefings to one, two, five, ten, fifteen people, staffers and members of Congress, trying to tell them, here's the nature of the threat, Here's what it looks like in real life. These are the individuals and these are the organizations that are in the network, both the, the Muslim Brotherhood network and the, I call it, Day Obandi or Tablighi Jamaat network right here in the United States. Let me mention, it just came to mind that 25% of the people remaining in Gitmo when I worked on the Tablighi Jamaat case in Guantanamo Bay were members of Tablighi Jamaat. The worst of the worst were in there. And so this organization is not benign. It's, it's, it poses great threat to the United States. And that is the case that the Department of State, in cooperation with the Civil Rights and Civil Liberties branch of the Department of Homeland Security, shut down in 2012 and ended up investigating me. And then th- three years later, we had the San Bernardino shootings. And that's when everything crashed together. All these policies and directives and unilateral changes in immigration law and customs enforcement law all came crashing together at one time, and we call it the San Bernardino case because the the fatalities resulted from it. And for me to say that we could have stopped it plausibly, I can tell you three very plausible ways that it could have been stopped, and the same with the Orlando case because of its connection with the Fort Pierce Mosque. And one of the most spectacular examples of the influence of these Muslim Brotherhood groups in law enforcement, your, re- your listeners can go online and check it out, CARE representatives, Council on American Islamic Relations, co-conspirators in the Holy Land trial, are literally sitting in the room with FBI officers down in Fort Pierce while they interview members of the Fort Pierce Mosque. That's happening right now in real time. And yet the FBI is supposed to be prohibited from interacting with CARE. So you tell me, friend, what is going on here? I'm thinking like during World War II, you have agencies in America, an entire network connected to the Hitler regime and SS, and you're not only tolerating their presence in the country, but using them as assets to go after. I mean, it is so have members of Congress woken up? Have you found more resonance among them, you know, since the Orlando shooting? Well, slowly. And uh, (laughs) I'm hoping that we're going to have hearings in the days and weeks ahead. And I'm also hoping that that if the administration does change, that some of these uh, people that have been waiting in the wings to speak out might have an opportunity to do it, and that the members of Congress who have seen what I have shown them and know 
we'll take, we'll finally have the wherewithal to uh, help our country recover itself from the nature of the threat that we face. Because uh, if they're not careful, they're going to end up being caught on the wrong side of history. And if you get caught on the wrong side of history, you become frozen in time. You turn into a stone because history is a very fierce judge. And once she casts her eye on you, she never blinks. Just think of Chamberlain. We'll have peace in our time holding up that piece of paper in his hand when he landed from Germany. Everybody who knows thinks of Chamberlain sees him frozen in time in that image. And members of Congress and of this administration are on the verge of being frozen in time for being on the wrong side of history. So I hope that they wake up soon. There's a little time left, but not a whole lot. I mean, so that's what I was going to ask you. And and this, I know we're running out of time here. Something that's always bothered me, as you know, I focus a lot on the intake side, the immigration side, letting these guys in the first place. And and my concern was that at some point you have such a critical mass of these people, and you're seeing that in Europe, that it just, it's random. It just comes anywhere. You have so many individuals that are committed to Sharia and the violent pursuit of of uh, you know its its implementation through jihad that there's no way of stopping it. But your point is that we're still at the point that if you break down every individual attack, they all come pretty much from the same network, the same type of mosques. Isn't that true? So you're saying basically the Orlando one. There's nothing random about it. You would have netted that in the in just the research that you personally did. Well, I'm an entomologist. That was my first career. And I always use the uh, illustration that in terms of studying ants, which was my specialty, there's no such thing as a random ant of violence. They're (laughs) all connected to a colony, and if you follow the trail, you will find the nest. And then you push reset button, and you do it again and again, because ants are part of a colony, just like the planets are part of a solar system. And if you go around stomping individual ants, you're never going to accomplish very much. That's a tactical error. But if you understand the strategy of the ants is to get back to their colony, then you really will have a chance of uh, controlling the ants if you want to control them. But Just find another the con- one is dragonflies. Most people know what dragonflies are. They fly really fast. And if you chase them around with a net around the, around the pond you will virtually never catch one because they fly too fast. <laughs> and that, that's a tactical error. But there's something about dragonflies which, if you know it, you can catch them quite easily. And that's a strategic thing. And that is dragonflies always come back to the same spot and land. So wow. you can chase them around the pond all day long, swinging your net wildly like a crazy man, which is what we're doing now. Or you can just go to where they land and wait for them to come back. And then you catch them. Or we could just focus on the guns. (laughs) What? Uh, Or we could just focus on the guns, which we're, uh, as we're talking. Yeah, you focus on the net or you take off while you're chasing them around the pond. Or maybe you pass through the X-ray scanner before you chase them around the pond. But you're just going to look more and more foolish. (laughs) And that's the sad thing about what's happening with each one of these events. Is the administration continues on this narrative. And every time one of them happens, one more aspect of the problem with their policy actually comes to light. And as you said earlier, proves the points in my book. 
and the issue that came to light, actually two of them, in the San Bernardino, in the Orlando case, is the overt effort to redact and, and, and uh, censor information right in front of the American public through Loretta Lynch, and the other thing is having chairs sent with the FBI officers right during the interviews. That's another overt intrusion of these Islamic groups right into the law enforcement arena. And that's essentially what I talked about in the book, is how this all came to be. How in the world did we get there to this point where you have Muslim Brotherhood known front groups sitting in with law enforcement, FBI, during interviews of members of uh, the Fort Pierce Mosque? Or how do you have the Department of Justice overtly, in real time, right in front of the American people, attempting to scrub and censor and delete and modify information just like they did with subject matter experts like me, but it was all behind the scenes. And nobody would have ever known it unless I had managed by God's grace and, and my ability to maintain my integrity to survive the whole experience. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking because I would have been discredited. And, I would and, have been and, and that's the thing. Yeah. There's nothing to be discredited here. As you're saying, it is all out in the open. When will Congress open their eyes? They this any any member who doesn't buy, see something, say nothing, go out and read it. They are derelict in their duty. Look, Phil, we're out of time. Well, Thanks so much may for I coming. Say on. One more quick. Oh, thing, ab please. absolutely. Have, have everyone encourage everyone. I would encourage everyone to read the book. Post it on your social media, uh, write a review, and most importantly, either write a letter or call your congressman and express your concerns. That will start a grassroots movement, and I do believe the way the system works that it will actually have an effect. Exactly. That's something everybody can do. Yep. Thank Everything the Democrats are saying about guns, let's do it about the actual assault people and networks. Um, let's focus on where the problem really is. Thanks so much, Phil, for joining me. Would you come back again? Sure, I'd love to. Anytime. Just let me know. All righty. Have a good one. Enjoy your book tour. Okay. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Phil Haney, former DHS officer who is blowing the whistle on the Muslim Brotherhood, controlling our government, controlling our counterterrorism operations. We're at a time. We're way over time here. We have a lot more to say. We'll be back later this week dissecting more of this again. Make sure to order See Something, Say Nothing on Amazon right now. Get your congressman to focus on where the problem is, the assault people, the Islamic terrorists, the Muslim Brotherhood-controlled mosque, the Muslim Brotherhood in our own DHS, not gun rights for law-abiding Americans and get your Republicans to actually focus on sanity. Thanks so much for listening again, folks. This has been a special edition of The Conservative Conscience.